Welcome to Popland Songs, hashtag life on a cliff edge, written and produced by me, your host, Bertie. Poppyland Songs is supported using public funding through Arts Council England. There upon the cliffs you'll find Poppyland Where it Episode 6, a story of love, connection, comfort and remembrance. lived and died in Poppyland Hello again, welcome back to Poppyland Songs. Here we are at the final episode of this first series. I hope you've enjoyed listening to it as much as I have enjoyed making it. If you have enjoyed the show, then can I ask you to share it with someone that you think might like it too? The more people who listen to Poppyland songs, the more likely it is that I'll be able to make a second series. And I already have so much planned for the next series. I really want to share with you all the new songs that I've written using the words of the current Poppyland residents. But... It's going to take a bit of time and I'm going to have to scrabble around for some funding too. Hmm. On that subject, if you perhaps want to support me and the future of Poppyland Songs, then you can always make a donation to my Ko-fi account. So Ko-fi, spelled K-O-F-I, is kind of like a digital tips jar, as you know. I am a lifelong busker, so it's kind of like that online. If you enjoy the content I make, then give me a tip. The platform allows fans to make donations to creative people. You can make one-off donations or, even better, you can set up a monthly donation. So it's ko-fi, ko-fi.com forward slash Bertie Bow. The link will also be on my website and in the podcast show notes. If you haven't listened to previous episodes, I might suggest you have a listen back. You can find it on the Poppyland Radio website or on my website, BertieBow.com. In brief, I'm a musician and composer, inspired by some journals belonging to my great-great-aunt Kit Hood and found in the house where I grew up in Sidestrand, North Norfolk. I'm collecting stories past, present and future from this tiny part of the world known as Poppyland, which is where I grew up. The stories I have been gathering are the inspiration for a song cycle celebrating life on a cliff edge. I'm still seeking people who'd like to share their story with me, so if you want to get involved, then please get in touch at poppylandsongs at gmail.com. About 21 years ago, I was busking in Covent Garden, London, something I've done a lot over the years. After I finished a show, I was approached by a guy who introduced himself as Tim. He was a singer and looking for string players for a new band he was forming called Strung Out. He'd be singing rock songs accompanied by stringed instruments. He said that he wanted to find musicians who were performers as well as players and it was suggested that he visited Covent Garden to see and listen to the buskers. He watched a few combos and then spotted this girl with dreads and piercings, really talented and an attitude he was looking for. So when they finished their set, he went down and introduced himself. So yes, I did used to have dreadlocks and lots of piercings. Tim was born in Tanzania, but at the age of 10, he was shipped off to Western Supermare to go to boarding school. 
At 16, his family moved to Perth, Australia, where Tim remained for the next 30 years working as a singer, guitarist and producer. He was a radio producer for eight years with the Australian Broadcasting Corporation, as well as acting in theatre and an occasional film. He was also a drama teacher in secondary schools. So in 2001, he decided to pack a bag and fly to London with the plan to set up Strong Out. Me and a couple of my fellow busking friends joined his band. Sometime later that year, my folks were having a big party up at Templewood in North Norfolk and Tim and some, of other, and Tim and some other friends came along. It was the morning after when Tim got chatting to my dad. He made a joke about visiting Nottingham as he had an issue to sort out with the sheriff as his last name was Hood. Curious. My dad asked if he was related to the Hoods of Nettlesham Hall. Tim responded, yes. So, unbelievably, it turns out that Tim was related to Kit's husband, Ivor Hood. Just telling that story gives me goosebumps. It's such a weird coincidence how on earth did that happen that our paths should cross with no knowledge of the other I mean at that point I knew nothing really of Kit Hood or Ivor Tim's relative so we were and still are quite taken aback at how this came to pass that Tim should travel from the other side of the world and just by sheer chance end up meeting family he didn't even know he had. I don't really believe in fate but I am staggered at how things sometimes turn out. Having spent some time living in Spain, Tim is back in Perth working as a supply teacher. He's still making music, having recently released an album with the band Norgay Tension, and you can find his solo music under the moniker Noisy Oyster on Bandcamp and Soundcloud. My life could have been so very different to how it turned out. Before my parents moved to Sidestrand and before I was born, they lived in Holcombe. My dad was a gamekeeper and they lived in a little gamekeeper's cottage on the estate. How their lives would have panned out, we'll never know, I guess. Perhaps I would not have even been born. If it weren't for my grandmother, Verily Anderson, uh, my dad's mum, deciding to remarry. She'd been a widow for many years after her husband, Donald, had died when the children were all quite young. I won't go into her story as it's quite bonkers and would probably take an entire podcast to do it justice. For example, as a young woman, she would not only take herself into a pub on her own, but would stand at the bar with the men and drink beer from a pint glass with a handle. It had to have a handle. She was still doing it when I was a kid as an older woman and um, I guess I thought it was quite funny then, but I really only understand now how unusual this would have been back when she was young. Anyway, she was a writer and many of her books were based on her real life, <laughs> much to her children's embarrassment. So you can find out in her own funny words. So she decided to remarry, but her new husband, Paul, was quite an unusual choice. From her side, she was warned off him because, well... He'd spent most of his adult life living with his partner, John. 
both work partner and life partner. And he was warned off her because, well, quite frankly, why would you marry a wild woman with five children and no money? Well, they clearly adored each other and got on so well, so they ignored all the advice flying around and got married. And this decision impacted our whole family, in large part due to the fact Paul was last in line of a very wealthy family. So his mum was Elmer Katie Hoare, so Samuel Hoare VI's sister and therefore Kit's much older sister. He had not only had a very successful career with his partner John as architects, but he had no children and he had inherited a lot. And in particular, he inherited property, and that included Garden Close, the house opposite Sidestrand Hall, which is where Kit lived and where I grew up. Um, That was one of them. So that's how my family ended up moving there. But for now, let's just go back to that gamekeeper's cottage in Holcombe. Here is a tale of drama and excitement that may or may not have taken place in those very walls. Like all good family legends, the retelling can sometimes blur the line between truth and myth. This is The Gangster and the Spy. Be his bride. He made her. 
Except that time she disappeared to Colchester But she claimed to be teaching other songs Then one night a thought came at their door And he went down to see who made the deal On opening a fist through And a drunken raging man came rushing in Through all his threats and noise he didn't heed Until the gun was pressed against his head Quiet beauty whispered in his ear If you ever touch what's mine again Another version of this story claims that it was not actually a gun, but it was a knife. Here's a story from Kit's journal. This time it's Alvina, John's wife, sharing her family legend. A moment that could have dramatically changed their lives for the better too, if not for an unfortunate choice of messenger. Mrs G talking about her mother's brother Antonio. He was a seafaring man and well to do, they say, he owned a ship or two. Well, honour he lay at Munsley and he see a man and says he, Is there any woman live at Trunch or thereabouts of the name of Bloom? The man say yes, and then he give him a good present to go and tell her to come to him at Munsley. Though that were a good present, he never gave the message and my grandmother never went. And the old gentleman died and all his money went into the funds and none of the blooms got anything. Well, when this man lay a-dying, it come over him and he called to mind the message he never gave and what a good present he had been given to deliver that. And he told them as were there. And so the name Antonio or Anthony was given to two boys in the family.
Here's another story from Kit's journals from John and Alvina, this time about poor old John Page, who had been old Sam, that's Sam Hoare V's, gamekeeper. He got very old and wouldn't have been safe to go out alone, but for his old shooting dog. He was a blacken. Poor old Page, he'd fallen in the deke. One day he fell into the deke down by the look, and he would have died but for the dog. He came up to road, and there he sat till someone came by. I forget who it was. And then he looked at him, and then he went down to Luke, to old Page, and the man followed him for to see what was up. And there he see part of the old man in the deek. But there was a hole there, and he pulled him out alive. Poor old Page, he died alone, with no one caring for him. This next song is a traditional song that I think its roots are probably in Ireland. Uh, There are lots of variations on the lyrics to be found. This version was sung by a man called Bob Roberts. He worked on the barges in East Anglia, which allowed him to collect the songs from fellow bargemen and all sorts of other people he met along his journeys. And by the 1950s, he had quiet the collection. This song is called Still I Love Him. When I was single, I wore a black shawl. Now that I'm married, I've nothing at all. Still I love him, I'll forgive him. I'll go with him wherever he goes. He took me to the alehouse and bought me some stout. Before I could drink it, he'd ordered me out. Still I love him, I'll forgive him, I'll go with him wherever he goes. He came up the road and he whispered me out, then he went off with young Kitty McLeod. Still I love him, I'll forgive him, I'll go with him wherever he goes. He bought me a handkerchief, red, white, and blue. And then to clean windows, he tore it in two. Still I love him, I'll forgive him. I'll go with him wherever he goes. My back is a-breaking, my fingers are sore. Gutting the herring he brings to the shore. Still I love him, I'll forgive him. I'll go with him wherever he goes. The storm is raging, his boat isn't in. Doesn't one tell me what's happened to him? Still I love him, I'll forgive him. I'll go with him wherever he goes. If he's gone to heaven, he'll come to no harm. If he's gone to hell, then he'll keep himself warm. Still I love him, I'll forgive him, I'll go with him wherever he goes. Still I love him, I'll forgive him, I'll go with him wherever he goes. I had the great fortune to go away to a specialist music school in London, the Purcell School, when I was 14 years old. 
I was leaving behind many good friends and idyllic childhood memories. But for many years after, I was not exactly proud of where I had come from. On arriving at school in London as a teenager, I was compelled to flatten out my accent when teased that it sounded like I was asking questions all the time. You know, the Norfolk lilt. I soon learned that my potential inbreeding and webbed toes made me uneasy about admitting where I came from. Just a few days ago, an elderly gentleman in London made the webbed fingers joke at me. Many people's association with Norfolk is that. And as a teenager, I did what teenagers do best. I got embarrassed. So I became a Londoner. But this was nothing new. Peter Stibbons, who I spoke to in the second episode, said... When we went to grammar school, at the time of the Great Divide, of course, you were basically told, that if you, first of all, that if you want to get anywhere in life, you're going to have to move out of Norfolk. Really? And secondly, you're going to have to... Uh, improve your accent or don't work in the local accent. You'd think things would have improved since those days, but according to a recent study, accent discrimination is still alive and kicking. We still have an embedded prejudice against certain accents. There are, however, a number of people who are very proud of the Norfolk dialect and who are trying to keep it going. I remember as a kid there was an annual music and dance festival held in Cromer where kids would perform to adjudicators and get graded. A part of this festival was for the Norfolk dialect. As an adult, it continued. My North Norfolk roots played as the butt of a joke in more than one show I've been in. I didn't mind so much, anything for a laugh. And it's not hard to get a laugh by just saying you're from North Norfolk in a proud voice. Everyone just starts laughing. But one thing I started to notice, all around the world, when my county was referenced for comical effect... At least one audience member would sidle up to me afterwards and confide they were also from Norfolk. And we'd share a private moment of pride with our fellow Norfolkian. I also discovered quickly that many people I would meet would have heard of Cromer, almost always having had a caravan holiday there as a child, often with a grandparent. In fact, this is often the reason people cite for moving or retiring here. But I was an impressionable young person and living outside of Norfolk with outsiders' views, I became snobbish and ashamed in the way that young people can sometimes be about their hometown. But there were other, more genuine reasons for this. Growing up, it seemed to me that the chroma sign was permanently graffitied as the germ of the North Norfolk coast, and it was that sentiment that I had internalised as a child and teenager. Also, like other small towns in the 80s and 90s, there was a heroin epidemic that touched many families but was just not talked about, and there was quite a lot of shame attached to it, a dark cloud that hangs heavy over the families affected. I grew up being confused by poppies, which held such contradictory meanings and emotions for me. To me, Cromer was at the end of the road, the end of the line, somewhere to go to die. 
Back then, that was my takeaway as a kid, touched by drug addiction and feeling the effects of living in a retirement area. Zimmer frames and addicts, heaven's waiting room. I realise that this will be an uncomfortable thing to hear. It's uncomfortable for me to say, but it is all part of the story of Poppyland. It's not all happy days and easy living here. I do also realise that by leaving at the age I did, certain sentiments and emotions were set in amber for me. Now that I am back living here years later, it has made me think long and hard about my relationship with the area, how I feel about it. I do see it differently now to when I was younger. Is that because I've gotten older or has it changed? It's still obviously very much a retirement area. It's recently been determined that North Norfolk has the oldest average age in the country at 48 years and 11 months old. It's still a thriving and well-loved holiday destination. But for the sake of all the families and those affected, I do hope that the drug problem is not as bad as it was 30 years ago. I suppose who I should really be asking is the teenagers. What do they feel about their home? Are they desperate to leave? Are they still being recommended to leave? To change their accents? Let's hear now from someone who moved here just 18 months ago. Bev Johnson wrote me this email. I moved to Overstrand 18 months ago from Hertfordshire and love it here. I moved not having any links here except a few holiday memories as a tiny girl in Hunstanton and Sheringham. My mum died five years ago and my dad died two years later, both knowing of my dream to move after they had passed. Two days before I moved, I went to lay flowers on the memorial at the crematorium and to say goodbye and that I was following my dream. As often happens, I was having a day of doubts if I was doing the right thing and hoping they would approve. Feeling sentimental and emotional, I asked if they could possibly send me a small sign that I know I would be okay. I then drove home to do the final bits of packing. My sister had dropped off the last of hundreds of photographs that my dad had kept. She said throw out any I didn't want. As I started to look, I found a small old photograph of two men walking along a clifftop. One was my dad, as a young man, and the other may have been my uncle. I then saw a pier in the background, rather faint, but clearly it is Chroma Pier. I then realised the path they were walking along was the cliff tops and path at Overstrand. This was the sign that told me I would be okay and that they had been here and hopefully loved the area as much as I do. It makes me feel that there is a close connection and that they are with me, which is so important to me. I love walking along the coastline and looking at the sea knowing they had watched the sea here. I know it sounds a bit soppy, but it is a story of love, connection, comfort and remembrance. The last track of this episode, and indeed this series, is something I actually wrote before the Poppyland song cycle was even an idea. But it is all about Poppyland and one particular woman who lived here, my grandmother, Verily Anderson, who I mentioned earlier. 
She set me on my musical path by encouraging piano and violin lessons and always supporting my musical endeavours. She was the most vivacious woman who would do things her way, regardless of what society expected, and the way she lived her life has rippled down through the family, inspiring all of us to try and live our best lives. I often wish she was here now. I have so many questions to ask her. She would definitely have approved of this project, with many a story to share for Popular Songs. I wrote this poem to read at her memorial service at Northrop's Church. I recorded it shortly after, and whilst it's not the most professional of recordings, it is my most raw and authentic. <laughs> I had to really hold it together to get the words out. This is called Snails at Sea Marge. You said that you bought me My first wonder bra Granny Are you sure that was me? did buy me a poly pocket against your wishes on that trip we took to Guernsey you gave me this violin with the promise that I'd never give in and you made me eat snails at sea marge been eating them ever since. Dance around the saloon to Glen Miller. I have to admit that playing piano duos could often be a bore. Until that time last year when we threw away the score. We felt so free and our fingers flew around the keys. You made me play my first concert at Northrep's Village Hall. Well, since then, Granny, I've played the Albert Hall. said that hell was falling out of bed 
lying on the floor in the middle of the night, too embarrassed to cry out for help. But if that was hell, then heaven was being with those you loved. And yes, you loved us all in your very special way. So heaven must be here with us today. So we've come to say goodbye and thank you for touching all of our lives. We have so very many memories, like a sky full of stars. Like that time you made me eat snails at Sea Marge. Here's some more about John Gray from Kit's Journals. Gray was born in the old cottage which stood on the site of the new houses on the Overstrand Road. Later on, Dennis Gray got work with Old Page and they went to live at what is now Pond Farm. In those days, it was two cottages, one in Sidestrand, the other in Northreps, and Gray had the Northreps one and old John Pyle the other. When John Gray first did man's work, he got a job for a year with Brown, who farmed the Southrep's lodge land, and Hungry Hill. Brown offered his father 30 shilling for his work for the whole year, but after bargaining they agreed for an extra 10 if John did his harvest. According to John, the other men didn't believe he could stand the work, but he did, and when Brown tried to shortchange him and pay less, his father said, he must have that ten shilling for harvest, and he got it. At the time of Britain's conversion to decimal currency in 1971, 30 shillings converted to £1.50. You might remember back in episode one, I gave you a little Norfolk dialect quiz. Here, finally, are the answers. Now, these are taken from Kit's journals. She doesn't say specifically who she got them from, but we can presume probably they would have come from John Gray. I've asked a few people about these and some match up and some are very different to what people expect. So here we go. To pingle or to be a pingler, is an animal or man eating badly. A mother, she spelt it M-A-W-T-H-E-R, is a girl. Stingy is cold, to be cold. Old Sarah, a hare. Dicker, a donkey. Pytel, a small field. Cur, she says to pronounce car, C-A-R-R, is a dog. She gives the example, come here, you pretty little car. Car? <laughs> Cushies are sweets. And a car, actually spelt C-A-R-R, car, is a low-laying covert or covert. A deke is a bank or hedge. Her example is, 
hold that O with the... <laughs> Sorry. Her example is, hold that O with the deep boy. In brackets, hurl that thing over the dyke boy. <laughs> Fatigue is to worry. Her example, I'm re-fatigued, I am. I feel worried or bothered, in brackets. Sea kitties are seagulls. She wonders whether that's a kitty wake. And finally, I'm fairly avidipoised means I cannot make up my mind. So there you go. Thank you for listening to Poppyland Songs. Please follow me on Facebook, YouTube and Instagram. Just search for Bertie Bow or Bertie Anderson Haggart. There will be more live Poppyland concerts coming up this year and next. You can find most of the songs on my website, BertieBow.com. And if you're interested in purchasing a copy of the Poppyland Songs Journal book, which includes all the lyrics and lots of photos of the project, then head over to my website or send me a message. Remember my tip jar, ko-fi.com forward slash Bertie Bow. And please share this podcast far and wide. Here's some final words from John Gray. I should like Miss Christabel to have a sight of them old farmers. Old Hedge, old Blythe and old Page. She'd have taken them for tramps, that would. Old Hedge always had a lump of tobacco in his mouth and the juice that ran out all down his chin. Drab breeches they had and low shoes all mucked up. I used to go into lace old Page's shoes for him. And he'd bend over, and the tobacco juice would fall on my mind, and I'd shake all over, and he'd laugh. Thank you to my dad, Eddie Anderson, and his voice talents, giving his best John Gray impersonation. He says he can do it thanks to having spent years working with old Norfolk boys as a gamekeeper all those years ago. Thanks for listening. See you soon. Bye. Poppyland Songs was hosted, written, produced and recorded by me. It's a one-woman show. Mm-hmm.